0: All right, well, it's good to have you here this morning. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for uh, a beautiful day. We thank you for your provision in our life. Lord, we thank you today that as we go about uh, the, the activities of today, as we view your creation, as we have opportunity to worship you, we see the reality of your existence, we understand truth of who you are, Lord, you've communicated it to us, we praise you for that this morning. Lord, we ask as we start to look into this overview of theology, that we would think biblically, that we'd also discern in our own lives those aspects that deny your existence, we'll be honest about it. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. All right, well, uh, so today, as you see your handout, we are doing what, this is a very surface overview. So we're going to try to cover six different theological standpoints. They're not totally different from each other. But six different theological standpoints that, in our understanding of discipleship and discernment, is going to, should open up to us, uh, really, the reasoning behind why people do what they do. Or expose to us, I would say, some of the reasoning why we do what we do. Maybe some inconsistency in our... uh, belief system or inconsistency in what we profess versus what we practice, right? So um, I just want to review over here then what we're talking about. So if we are talking about our actions, this is what is seen, this is how I act, it will... Now, there's an aspect of obviously hypocrisy that you can put on, but really over time it defines your beliefs. So though we can say that we are believers in God, theists, right? If we live in such a way that denies his existence, then which one's wrong, our actions or our professed worldview? Professed Professed worldview. Right, the professed worldview. We can say that we believe something, but really our beliefs are defined and carried out in our actions. That's why we would say discipleship is taking that biblical point of view and and working out how it manifests itself in our hands and our feet. And then discernment. I would say we talked about when we see somebody else, we can discern uh, their worldview by seeing their actions. But I think sometimes it's very important for us to do for ourselves. We need to discern our own true worldview as we define our actions, right? And sometimes our actions are very inconsistent with what we say we believe. And that's why discipleship is a very important aspect of working those things out. Okay, so uh one author said this, theism, the belief that God is and atheism, the belief that God is not, are not simply two beliefs, they are two fundamental ways of seeing the whole of existence. The one, theism, sees existence as ultimately meaningful and having a meaning beyond itself, and others see existence as having no meaning beyond itself. That philosophical statement about theology will have massive implications and why you do what you do, and what a country does, and why a country does it. Uh, If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're talking about, we just finished up talking about, thou shalt not kill, which lays a foundation for the sanctity of life. If you believe there's no God, you have erased the basis for the sanctity of life. You may try to build sanctity of life based on other things, but it crumbles uh, when there is no God. So there's no sanctity to that life, because he created it. So we're going to go through this, the six different worldviews, and hopefully be able to draw out some differences, some nuances. This does not, obviously this was not, it's not a full uh, covering of it. And one of my goals in the class is not to build up what's called the straw man argument. So the straw man argument is a logical fallacy, and the straw man argument is where I build up the other side, in a shaky, and they, they wouldn't necessarily claim it, but I, I build it up, and then I just beat it down. Ha <laughs> look how dumb it is. You have such a bad worldview. They're so they're, they're so inconsistent in They're thinking. Well, that's because I built their worldview for them, and then I beat it up. So we're, we'll try not to do that. Uh, and if you see, if you come from any of these backgrounds and you see us doing that, don't hesitate to uh, uh, yell at us at that time. All right, so let's get started into... Uh, obviously, Christianity. Christianity is monotheistic. Monotheistic meaning one God. However, there's a, there's a very big difference between the monotheism of Christianity and the monotheism of Islam, right? Or even, we would say, the monotheism of Judaism. Okay, and so we would call ourselves Trinitarian monotheists, which, you know, people would say, you can't do that. You know, we'd say, well, actually, 3-1, yes, we can and uh, we just won't be able to explain it to you, right? So, uh, it's a very difficult concept to explain. Obviously, the word Trinity is not found in Scripture, and yet the idea of equality amongst a Godhead is everywhere in Scripture. You cannot objectively read the Bible and get away from the fact that Jesus claims to be equal with God, claims to be God, claims to be there in the beginning with God, and also the Spirit is called God. It's a person it has personality it does things you can grieve the spirit the spirit moves and acts and was part of creation and so as we study these things uh we see that our god is a three-in-one one one god right so trinitarian monotheism uh muslims would call you an idolater right actually they'd call, call you a infidel Right, But this is, this is unacceptable in their theology. We call it Trinitarian monotheism. God is, a, is personal, loving, and knowable. This is important. Uh, Islam would, def- de- de- would uh, depart from the aspect here that he is loving and knowable. Okay? Uh, but God is personal, loving, knowable. One, he uh, has revealed himself in three persons. These persons are distinct yet co-equal and co-eternal in one. Right? We're not going to take time to lay out the whole doctrinal statement of the church or what we believe, but uh, just hitting some high points here because you're going to see the differences as we go into others. Uh, be there, God has revealed himself to man. So if there's a God he, and he creates, he has the opportunity to hide himself from man. right? Uh, because he's God. But God has not chosen to do that, he's chosen to reveal himself to us. We would say there's two primary ways in which God has revealed himself to man. Number one, in general revelation, and in number two, uh, special revelation. Both of those are contained in Psalm 19. So I do want to look at Psalm 19 this morning very quickly uh, and see how this general and special revelation is uh, seen there in this wonderful, wonderful psalm. You probably know most of it by memory, uh, whether you think you do or not. Psalm 19. So verses 1 through 6 are going to talk about his God is able to be known through creation. Verses uh, 7 through uh, really uh, the rest of the chapter talks about how God is noble through his word. Right? So the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night show knowledge. There is no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout the whole earth, or through all the earth, and their word to the ends of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices that a strong man to run a race is going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now, I would challenge you to look at verses 1 through 6, not when you see the idea of the sun there, we're really talking about the... Uh, the the what is what is to be seen by a designer, right? And so it says the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, it's interesting as we <clears throat> send out more and more things into space, and we see this. I mean, math. Once you get into space, math is like whatever, right? Uh, it's just well, we're, we're talking about five hundred and sixty-five light years. It's huge, right? And they look out there, and it was interesting. I don't know if you knew, you, know, you remember how the Hubble telescope worked. Remember that? They sent it up, and they got some pictures back, and what did they see? Nothing but blurriness. And it was because it was just off, like a micron or whatever, off. And they went up there, and somehow they fixed it. And then what kind of images came back? Amazing. Galaxies within galaxies. We're looking at... We're looking, you know, you see this bright spot we thought was a star, and they zoom up on it, and it's not. It's a cluster of galaxies with billions of stars, and uh, a, the colors that come through, it's amazing, right? And the heavens declare the glory of God. It says God knows each star by name. You know, we thought it was interesting that he knew our the hairs of our head. For some of you, that's not a... You know, uh, well anyway but the stars let's just talk about the stars right? God knows these stars it says he knows them by name and calls them out so as God cre- as, as God created during that creation week everything about you know speaks of his glory I, I have such a hard time with a scientist who uses math to show us there's no God because they just have to keep inserting time and because time gives chance the hope of falling into place, right? Yep. And so, well, uh, we'll just keep throwing time at it. You know, it's crazy uh, that we can say it that way. But it says, look, in verse 3, it says, there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You know what this is telling us? It doesn't matter who you are, when you were born, what level of science was up to date at that point. When you walk out and you see the design of the universe there's something built into man that says there's a God. Okay? So the heavens declare the glory of God. Now we transition then into verse 7 where we have specific revelation. God is not just known as a designer. He's known as our savior, as our creator, as our lawgiver, as our judge. What we know about God specifically is given to us through his word in special revelation. So creation is general revelation. God's word, and specifically Jesus Christ's special revelation. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. One one thing I want to say here is, the fact that they are to be desired and that they are sweet to the soul shows us that we can know our God. Right? By the way, this is something very foreign in the Muslim religion. God is a God of law and judgment. There's not a sweet relationship. There's not a salvation and a, and a, a joyous communion with God. He is almost the man upstairs with a sword and he will judge you one day on your works, and we'll get to that in just a minute. So the fact that we can know God through His Word through the person of Jesus Christ separates Christianity uh, from other theistic, if I could use quotes there, theistic evolution uh, theologies. Okay, all right. So just look at these real quick. There's the cosmological argument. We're not going to get into these. I'm, this is a very this is just actually naming them for you. The cosmological argument is a is a it's an argument from logic. Apart, in a sense, apart from God's word, it doesn't have to be apart from God's word. But what we'd say is this: the cosmological argument shows that everything that has a beginning, there had to be an ultimate cause. There had to be something that began it. What? Where did this come from? Is the question, right? So, where did that come from? Well, where did that come from? You know, if you ever watch a uh, a description of evolution, they start with big bang. Something. Well, where did that come from? They don't, well, you, know. So really what happens is they have to come to a point that says matter is eternal. Because you would ask, well, then where did that come from? And where did they, well, we don't have the answers to that. It just always was. And, you know, if you want to take on Paul's uh, pattern of arguing from their own place, we'd say, well, we actually know what the first matter was. It was God. and It's not matter. Right? And so uh, in the cause the cosmological argument you would argue from the point of a, uh, of a beginner, a first cause. The teleological argument arguments from design. Everything that has design really has purpose, right? If you see design in something there's a purpose for it. There is nothing in this building that you could find that would say there's no design in it. And if you picked it up and looked at it, we could probably tell you what its purpose was. Now, whether it's in the right place or not is a whole different issue, <laughs> but, right? Uh, you know, it's and of course there's the there's the uh, illustration of the watchmaker. So if you were to you know be stranded on an island, an unmanned island, and you found the pieces to a watch, it, you wouldn't say. Wow, look at these rocks or these shells. They're sure interesting. No, you'd say there's obviously something in it. Of course, if you have the watch together, you go and you take it apart, you recognize that all these pieces are not random. They all have design because they all have purpose, right? And so the teleological argument says everything we look at has design. In fact, uh, as, as they're able to look at things closer and closer and closer and closer because of microscope uh, science, they're not finding blobs of things just happening; they find great design. So one of the uh, things mentioned in the textbook, obviously, is the bacterial flagellum, right? So the bacterial flagellum is this bacteria that has a tail sticking out of it, and they study this thing, and it is—it's more efficient than any car man has ever created, and its ability to do that, And as they look at the pieces of it, and, and they get closer, and However, a million times, you know, microscopic amplification. That's not the right word, but uh, anyway. Magnification. Magnific- that's the word sound. All right. But as they look at it, they recognize all these pieces come together, and if one part of it was missing, the whole thing would break down, which is a big problem for evolution, right? Everything not only had to evolve, everything had to evolve simultaneously, in conjunction with one another without having any idea I, I find it funny um, Charles Darwin I think in his book wrote that in other words it was all based on a simple cell just flip, blink, right and that if, if that was proven wrong then his whole theory is gone and it has been but they right. still... I don't think Charles Darwin would be okay with the extrapolation that's taken place with his own theories no. uh, nevertheless right but it's this it's what well, we, we would all we would call it irreducible complexity right you know so a, a a fish trying to walk out of the ocean is a bad amphibian before it's a you know it's a it's a bad fish before it's a good amphibian what does that mean well that fish over there that's growing legs can't swim very well what well, what happens to the weak in the animal kingdom it's dinner right <laughs> You keep eating dinner. Evolution really does need a long time. You know, you keep I- eating your 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 uh, uh, mutation. So there, it, there's no science. Isn't even honest with itself, unfortunately, in this department. So, uh, so we see this in what we call the teleological. C is the moral argument. Uh, we see that there's a conscience in man. Where did, how does evolution uh, account for the conscience in man? Every man is born with a conscience. There's no people born that don't have some innate understanding of right and wrong, right? And uh, even, I mean, we're not talking about safe people. We're talking about all people. The fact that we desire fairness shows there was something innate in mankind that wants an ethical foundation. There's morality in humanity that is not found in any other species. And so how do, you, how do you account for that? Well, uh, because absolute moral laws exist, there must be an absolute moral law giver, right? And so these are those, those are, we'll just uh, move off of those. Those would fall underneath general revelation. Special revelation, God's word, and we would say specifically seen in Jesus Christ. So one of the most basic tenets of Christianity is the divine inspiration of Scripture. And here's the thing, this is why it's crazy... For Christianity is to back off of inspiration. Wait, you're telling me that God breathed? These are the actual words that God would gave to man? Yes, because if you capitulate on that point, you have taken the well, they call it a linchpin. You've taken a linchpin out of the whole Christian worldview. You know what a linchpin is. I had a uh I I learned what a linchpin was when I had a lawn business. So we had these lawn mowers deck mower pretty big and they had these big front wheels on the front and you could adjust them and so there was this clip that you unclipped and you pulled the pin out and then you could pull the wheel off very easily and adjust and put it back on you didn't have to use a wrench or anything you just had a linchpin well one day my brother had adjusted the lawnmower and had not put the linchpin back in place and so i was mowing and i hit a bump that made the lawnmower go up well